This passage today is all about how God can sing over you. How God can sing over you. Now, there's only one place in the Bible that says, and it talks about where God sings over us. And I could just imagine how God can sing. You just imagine his voice. Imagine uh, if, if there was an American idol in heaven, you know, God would step up and, and, and his voice would just be amazing. But there is a passage that I want to share with you today that I would love for you to carry with you um, throughout 2018. And it's found in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Now, Zephaniah was a prophet, and he was a prophet there on the southern part of, of uh, the kingdom of Judea and uh, of Judah. And so this, pa- this one single, single verse is what we're going to focus on today. This one passage, and it states this. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, with, but with rejoice over you with singing. Now, some of you may, may walk in a new year with like a word or a phrase or maybe a passage of scripture. And, and some of you may already have that. But if you don't have a passage of scripture, this is a great passage. Some of you may have multiple passages. But I would encourage you to take this passage and I want you to meditate on um, this new year, throughout the year. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to read this again. And I want you to soak it in as we prepare to dive into this word. So let's Let's uh, read this. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So why did Zephaniah put that in that book? Why did Zephaniah write that down? Well, the backstory is that, that the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, had been living in sin and idolatry. This is way beyond past uh, the kingdom of David when David was king and then Solomon. And then after Solomon, things just started going downhill. They began to acquire the idol worship of those countries around them and being influenced around them and intermarrying with those, with those pagan countries and have been influenced. And so... What has happened is they have turned to other gods and God was about to say, all right, enough is enough. We've got to get this straight. We've got to purify this nation. And so God set before them a a king called Josiah. Now, Josiah was a really great king. He was a good man. And he even knocked down some of the idols and and he, uh, he brought the nation back to God. However, evil was so embedded in the hearts of the people that they still did not turn away from those idols. And so Zephaniah shares, and, and, and you can read that, read that book, and he shares about how God is going to uh, take them and put them in exile, and how God is going to punish 
the nation of Israel. Look, you have turned to other idols. You have let things into your heart and into your life. And so because of that, this is what's going to happen. However, there's one verse I want to share with you. And that's that verse right there, 17. In the midst of shame and guilt and everything, God wanted to give them hope. You know, maybe you sit there to, here today and maybe you're, you're like, you know, Frank, my past, I've done some things that I, I, just, can't, I just can't shake off. I just remember. Or maybe uh, it's been as early as last week, whatever that is. God is here to tell you. There will be consequences for that. that, that that's just the nature of, of humanity and, and how God created the world and the process. But in the midst of consequences, God is telling you this verse right here. He wants to tell you this because some people are living with baggage on their shoulders and in their heart based upon some things they may have done. You know, you may have a view of God like God is some sort of big grumpy old man out to shame and guilt you and uh, just to keep people in line. Maybe it's like, you know, God just... Uh, God just wants to, uh, he, he's just out, out for me. He's just out for me. He, I, I just keep having these, these things happen. And, and you may know people in your life. It, it may not be you, but you may have family members who say that. I have family members who said that. I have friends who say that. He said, God is just out to get me. God doesn't love me. Well, God does love you. It's just the, the consequences of, 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 your, of your actions is what's happening and that's just, that's just natural. But God is there with you. And so today, I want to give you some hope in this message. When, when you mess up, God wants you to know something, that he is there. So we're going to dissect this verse. And so at the beginning of this verse, it talks about that um, the Lord your God. Now, let's just stop right there. The Lord your God. So what God is saying is this, look, I am your God. If you have accepted Christ as Savior, if you have invited him into your life, if you live for the Lord and you're like, you know, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, and I, I, I want to live for him. And even if you have done that, but you continue to do uh, just stupid things, you, you continue to sin. Okay, we all do that. And, and if you are are in that position right now, God is telling you, look, I'm your God. Wake up. Remember, I am your God. He is personal. So what God wants to share with us is this. He is a personal God. He's not just some God out there that, that we can just kind of worship and we don't even, you know, uh, know who he is. I mean, he has expressed himself fully right here in God's word, in his word. So he has showed us who he is. Look, it's right there, right here. Have any of y'all ever written a book about yourself that is this big? Probably not. But guess what? The God who created the universe and who knows you and loves you wrote this down. Why? Because he wants you to know that he is a personal God to you. So he's a personal God and it says this in Zephaniah, the Lord your God is in your midst. 
He is in your midst, which means that he is a present God. He is a present God. Not only am I a personal God, but I'm present. I'm even present when those consequences happen. And we've all faced consequences for things that we've done. Absolutely. And so those consequences that happen, God's saying, look, even in the midst of, of, of you having to love out consequences in your life, I'm here to tell you, I am present in you. I am present in your life. It's kind of like when our children, when our children in our house do something and they break a rule in our house and we caught them lying or whatever. And because, um, you know, we have ways to try to figure that out. Okay, we just like talk to each, you know, interview other kids. I mean, it's, it's like an interrogation process, all right? And cameras are coming soon. The kids are fearing the cameras, you know? But as we, as we talk to them and as they sort of either have been caught or, or confess and they get punishment for that, whatever that punishment is, we don't say, okay, you're grounded for a whole week, yeah, forever. You're grounded for a whole week from electronics, whatever. And then we don't just leave the room and shut the door, and that's it. We are present in their life. Meaning we say, all right, you're grounded for a whole week, and here's the reason why. And we kind of explain that. And then we say, but look, mom and dad love you. We love you. And this isn't you. This isn't the person God wants you to be. God doesn't want you to be someone who takes things, who steals things, who lies. God doesn't want you to be that person. You know, we'd even pray or share scripture or we would just talk to them. Why? Because we want to be present even in the midst of their consequences. So God is saying, just like in Zephaniah to the nation of Israel, he's telling you today, that's why 17 is in there. That's why verse 17 is in there. It's not just for the nation of Israel. It's for us. So God is telling you, look, I'm personal. I'm your personal God, and I am your present God. And then it says after that, a mighty one who will save. A mighty one who is saved. So God is a powerful God. He is a powerful God. God is personal He's present and he is powerful. He will save us from the destruction of ourselves. He will save us from the destruction of ourselves. Now, consequences will happen. That, that's just set in motion. But he will save us from ourselves. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came to save us from our sin to save us from ourselves. And Jesus came to say, look, I can give you power through the Holy Spirit when it comes inside you, when you believe in me and trust in me as Lord and Savior, I come inside you and live within you and give you power. I am your power. How often do we live this life trying to rely, rely upon our own power when God is saying, hello, hello, I've got the power. I've got the power. <laughs> and so... So God is telling you, look, I've got the power here for you. All it is is you could just receive it. I'm handing it out to you. I'm a mighty one who can save. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of 
God. When, it doesn't, when we don't feel like because of our past, because of what we've done, when we don't feel like we deserve happiness, we don't, we don't feel like we deserve God's favor, when we don't feel like uh, we deserve God's healing, when we don't feel like we deserve God's love, God has a message for you today, and that is this. Look, I love you. I, I, I want to do great things in you. I want to give you power. I want to give you wisdom. I, yes, even in the midst of your shame. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna get your heart right. We're gonna, we're gonna work this out. But, but my power is still there. Just because you sin doesn't mean my, my power, I, I, I've lost my power. God is telling you. My power is still there for you. So don't think that he has left you powerless because it is there. So God, God is personal, God is present, God is powerful, and God takes pleasure in you. It says, um, it says this back in Zephaniah, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will rejoice over you with gladness. I can't think of a better phrase that explains that God takes pleasure in you. He will rejoice over you with gladness, okay? I mean, uh, you, you, some, of you need to take, some of you need to just take those few words and write it down and put it in a place where you can see it every day. God takes great pleasure in you. Um, I, I love this in uh, what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. So God calls us to rejoice always. And when Paul wrote this, he was in prison. So when we are in the prison of our shame, the prison of our guilt, the, the prison of, of our frustrations, the prison of our anger, the prison of, man, I just can't break free from this, whatever that is. When we're in prison on that, what are we to do? Just like Paul was in prison, we are to rejoice. Rejoice always. And again, I say Rejoice. And I know, that's the, I know that's difficult. I know that is difficult. Kind of reminds me of that commercial uh, that you see where, uh, where people are, they're rejoicing whenever they, you know, sit on gum, you know, and it gets stuck on them, you know, or they, they run into, you know, a, a glass wall, you know, or, or they're sitting in an airplane and the kid's kicking in the back of their seat, you know, and they're like, yes, you know. Nobody rejoices over that. That's obvious. But God is telling us, look, in the midst of all of our junk, he's saying rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice even when you're locked in the prison of whatever prison you are in. So here's a a truth that I think you need to take home. If God is calling you to rejoice always, even during the bad times, then God himself is is doing the same thing. Because God is not gonna ask us to do something that he wouldn't already do. In fact, that's why Jesus came. Jesus, Jesus said to us, before he did this, he said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And then he did it. <laughs> the literal cross. 
So God, and that's just one example of many, God is not gonna ask us to do something that he won't, he won't uh, already do, that he won't follow through himself. So if God is telling you rejoice always, even in the junk, God is saying in the middle of your junk, guess what? I am still rejoicing over you. I'm rejoicing over you. I take gladness in you. I take delight in you. Yeah, you just lied. Yeah, you, you just took something. Yeah, you just had a fight with someone. Yes, you were a jerk to that person. Yes, you did this, whatever it is. Yes, you're gonna face consequences, but let me share one thing. I will take delight in you. I will rejoice over you with gladness. Isn't that good? Yes. I will rejoice over you. Now, before you think that, well, I can just live whatever life I want because God's going to rejoice over me, go ahead. (laughs) Write a book, go to counseling, and let me know how that works out for you. You know, the, the more that God rejoices in us, um, you know, it's, it, the Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So the reason why God rejoices you with gladness is, is uh, he's showing his kindness to you. And you're saying, gosh, I've been really a, just a bad person lately. And here's God, like, still rejoicing over me, gladness. Man, I should, I should line my heart with his. Lord, I'm sorry for this. I'm going to repent, which means, by the way, I do a 180, go in the opposite direction of where you've been going. Lord, I, I need to apologize to that person. I need to, you know, pay that back, or I need to, whatever it takes. And so it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so when you repent and you live your life for him, you're aligning your heart with his. So God is a personal God, a present God. He is powerful, he takes pleasure in us, and God is peace. God is peace. When it says right here in Zephaniah, he will rejoice over you with gladness and then he will quiet you by his love. He will quiet you by his love. I've, I've, by the grace of God, and I'm not saying this any, I'm not patting myself on the back for this. I'm just saying, by the grace of God, I've never spent a night in prison. Some of you probably have, and I'm sure it's a great story. (laughs) But what I've heard about prison is that prison is always noisy. It's never quiet. There's always, even in the middle of the night, there are, there's noise, there's something going on. It's just constant noise and distraction. It's not peace. And I'm not saying that those who, who work in the, in the prison, those who work in, in the jails don't do a good job, because they do, but it's just, it's just the nature of the beast. It's not, it's not quiet. It's never peaceful. You know, when you are locked in your prison of shame and guilt, you're never going to be at peace. It's going to be noisy. It's going to be noisy. 
Here's what God wants to do. God wants to take that noise and he wants to bring peace into your life. Because love, he says that he wants to quiet you. And I love that phrase. He wants to quiet you with his love. You know, if there's ever a a synonym for love, it's not loud. Love love is not loud. Okay, I, I don't go to my wife and say, and scream, I love you. I don't. What I love to do <clears throat> is when she's working in the kitchen, I'll come up behind her and I'll whisper something in her ear. Maybe something a little bit spicy. Because <laughs> we're in the kitchen. And it makes her giggle a little bit. She likes that. And it's just affirmation of my love for her. And as the kids get older, I sometimes say it a little bit louder. Just so the kids will be like, oh, and they'll leave the room. And that's fine. But I do know this. I do know this. And, 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 and husbands, you may have the same way with, with, your, with your wife as well. But Suzanne has come to position herself when she senses that I'm behind her and I put up my mouth to her ear, she positions herself, meaning she doesn't pull away. She doesn't be like, oh, whatever. She positions herself to hear what I have to say because it's always love. And it's always quiet. And it just brings peace to her heart. Brings affirmation that we're okay, we're good. We're good. Even when, even when there's junk in the house, yeah, there's junk in the house. I mean, it's easy to have just junk and relationships in our house. You get eight people together, it just happens. But it, it affirms to her, ah, there's the peace I'm looking for. There's the peace I'm looking for. And you know, that's what God wants to do in you. God has some words that he wants to share with you in your, in your ear and your heart's here, but all it takes is this. You gotta position yourself. You have to position yourself to, to hear from the Lord. Are you tired of the world screaming at you? Are you tired of the voices in your head screaming at you and reminding you of someone that you're really not designed to be? then you need to go to God and position yourself to hear the quiet, peaceful words of God. Learn how to tell the world to be quiet when God wants to speak to you. Learn how to tell the world, look, you need to be quiet. Shut it off and position yourself to hear from God. He is the prince of peace. He's a prince of peace. So he is a personal God, a present God. He is powerful. He takes pleasure. He gives us peace. And here's where it all comes down to the end of this passage. He will exalt over you with what? Loud singing. 
Now you may say, well, I thought you said, Frank, that love was allowed. Well, God has to get us to a place where he can whisper to us his love and quiet us with with his love, bring our hearts at peace with him, and then he's gonna break open the microphone and he's going to crank it to 11 and he's going to sing loudly over us because God will quiet us with his love and then sing at the top of his lungs. He quiets us with his love and then sings at the top of his lungs. Now, you may think, well, that's kind of awkward for God to sing. It's kind of like, have you ever, been to, you ever been to a restaurant and they sing to you? It's kind of awkward, especially when they, you're at a Mexican restaurant and they make you wear a sombrero and they all come out and they sing a song in, in Spanish, you know, but you know it's happy birthday, you think? And then, and whatever, whatever they do, and so the whole, you know, the whole restaurant, you know, they sing and they make a, they just make a fool of you, all right? That's not God's intent. God, it, God just wants to say, look, I am so excited about you. I, I love you so much that I just want to sing over you. When is the last time someone sang over you? Wives, this be a good time to nudge your husband. When was the last time someone saying over you. Now, guys, listen. For you who are married or you're in a, in a, in a, a, a great relationship and, and you're dating someone and you may think, man, I, I don't have a great voice. My, my wife doesn't really care. Hey, guys, it's part of you. Sing to, you. Sing to her. Sing to her. It's okay. She would love it. She may giggle and may laugh, you know, but... But just love it. Now, as she's talking about your singing to others, come to me, we'll do marriage counseling. <laughs> but, but ladies, when's, when's the last time someone sang over you? Okay? Guys, when's the last time someone sang over you? You know, um, Maya, growing up as a child, Probably the person in, in my life that has sung more over me than anyone is my mom. And some of you may remember. Some of you may have a mom that, that, that used to sing over you as a child, and you still can hear her voice sing over you. My mom, actually, she, she's very musical. She plays she played the piano. She plays the accordion. It's cool. I'd love to learn how to play the accordion. She's played the accordion. We used to have this like Southern gospel band as, as a family. No, no lie. I was a drummer. I was like 10 or 11 years old. And I was a drummer and we're doing I Fly Away and my dad was on guitar. My mom was, you know, playing the accordion or piano. But, but I just remember my mom singing. But, but she would also sing over me as a, as a young child. She would sing sweet songs. And I just remember, I, I had some health issues as a child. I had really bad earaches and, and bad sinus things. I, I've had all kinds of, you know, surgeries in, in, as a child. And I just remember in, in pain, sitting there and just my mom holding me. And she was just singing over me. Sweet, a song. And so... How many of you, how long has it been since you've 
cuddled up to your father in heaven, his arms, and allowed him to sing over you. And allow him to sing over you. You know, when you're a child and you're in your parents' arms, you're, you're, you're dependent on them. One of the things I used to, I used to do, I haven't done it too much now, but when the kids were little, I used to sing songs to them when they would sleep. And they'd say, one more time, Daddy, one more time. And I'd do it again. I think they were stalling. But that's okay. But, but they, would, they would say one more time because they liked it. And so when is the last time you were next to your heavenly father and he, he sang over you? What it takes is, is putting yourself in that position. Putting yourself in position to, for God to sing over you. One of the best ways is right here, his word. His word. To open up his word and to say, God, what would you have for me today? You know, a great place to start is just the Psalms. Just because these Psalms, they used to be the music, right? But we don't have those recordings. But these are songs, and these songs are not just for people back then, but they're for us today. That's why we have them. So when is the last time you put yourself in position? Regularly, open this word or knelt down in prayer. Put your knees on the ground and ask God, Lord, just sing over me. Sing over me with your love. Quiet me with your love. Because God longs to do that. We just have to put ourselves in position. So as you carry on through 2018, know this, that, that God is personal. God is present. He is powerful. He takes great delight in you, great pleasure. He's pleased with you. And he is a God of peace. And he, he's a God who performs singing over you. So I want you to take that verse at Zephaniah 317. Maybe use that as one of your verses for 2018. When there's junk in your life, when you're in your prison of whatever, when there's just not much peace, when you feel like you don't deserve the love of God, just open that up and meditate it. Read it over and over and over again because that is for you also. It's for all of us. And so while Jesus was here on this earth, Jesus, I wonder how, how many times Jesus sang. I would love to hear Jesus sing. One of these days we will. You know, when we're up there praising the Lord, you know, we're, we're singing to Him. I just... At some point, I just want to stand next to Jesus and just, just, you know, let me hear your voice. I wonder how many times he sang while he was on this earth. But we do know this. While he was on this earth, he showed that he was, he was personal. Okay? He had friends. 
He was, pre- he was present. He came down to earth. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He showed his power by healing people. He, he, he took pleasure in people. Zacchaeus, he took pleasure in him. Even in the midst of his junk, Zacchaeus, you know what? Come down to that tree. I'm gonna go to your house. I like you, man. I like you, but I'm a tax collector. I know. We'll get, we'll, we'll get over there. We'll, we'll work through that. I, I'm especially fond of you, Zacchaeus. And I'm especially fond of you and put your name. So Jesus took pleasure in people. And Jesus brought peace to people's lives. And Jesus, yeah, he performed many miracles. But I wonder how many songs he sang over people. I wonder, maybe Zyrus' daughter who was dead. And they said, no use talking, no use of coming over, Jesus. He said, no, I'm going to come over. And he's at her dead body. I just wonder if he's saying, you know. I wonder how many times maybe he was at the temple and he's saying, God is singing over you. You know, there's, there's one time that we know that Jesus sang. Because it's, it's written in God's word. He was with his disciples and, and Jesus, Jesus sang. Because it says, they all sang a hymn together. They sang a song together. We don't know what they sang. But they all sang a song together. And Jesus sang. And it, it was a time when Jesus was we think it was probably his last song he sang on this earth. Probably didn't do much singing on the cross while they were beating him. Probably doing some praying, but I'm not sure how much singing he was doing. But we know that his, probably his last song was right after his last supper with his best friends and those who would ultimately begin the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was with his friends in the upper room. And, and, and we can read about it right there in, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through, through 29. It says this, while they, and it's Jesus and his disciples were eating, Jesus, he took bread that was there. Now you gotta understand, this is a feast. This is during the Passover time. And the people, you know, Israelites did this every year. It wasn't just a table with bread and wine, all right? It was like Thanksgiving. So imagine Thanksgiving. If Thanksgiving, if Thanksgiving only had, you know, wine or grape juice and, and a, a roll, you'd be like, hey, what's up? No, it wasn't, it wasn't just about bread and wine. It was a feast. And so they're at this table and Jesus took the bread, the roll that was there on the table. And and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He tore it up and gave it to his disciples. And he said, look, take and eat. This is my body as a symbol that's going to be broken for you. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
as a symbol of his blood, the wine in the cup. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And then another passage in the gospel says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Whenever you do this. So he's telling us, the church, that was a, that was a symbol. That was a, a code. Hey, church. Hey, Lake Point Church, 2018. When you do this, Remember me, remember my body, remember my blood that was shed for you. I came to free you, to give you salvation. I came to be the God who you need in your life. And so we're going to do that today. But before we do that, I wanna give you an opportunity just to get right with the Lord. Because I believe before we take the Lord's Supper, before we remember his body and his, and, his, and his blood that was shed and broken for us, it's good for us to get right with him. Just to have repentance, to have confession in our life. And some of you here may, may, may be here today saying, man, I'm just far from God. Hey, it takes one minute to get right back to where you need to be with God. That's all it takes, okay? There's no like big major plan or whatever. It just... You confessing your sin, say, Lord, I'm going to repent. I'm going to go the opposite direction. Be Lord of my life. 